then we will be looking at Simeon's song. And then we will be looking in Revelation at the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And uh, we'll be looking at these songs throughout the next four weeks. Um, you know, there's always a debate going on uh, about when it's okay to play Christmas music. There's always a debate on when it's okay to put up the Christmas tree. There's always a debate regarding which movies are Christmas movies. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Christmas trees should not be put up until after Thanksgiving. Christmas music should not be played until after Thanksgiving. I'm really not the Grinch, okay? I just like there to be borders and perimeters around the holidays. We give thanks and then we anticipate. There's a number of songs that do exist that you really shouldn't sing at Christmas time. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. I mean, that could be devastating to some kids, you know? I mean, really? I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. That's confusing. Right? But the songs that we're going to be looking at are songs that encourage and inspire, that teach. And we see this longing in those who sang them. It's not really songs, if you will, but they're certainly put in a poetic fashion in our text. With Zechariah, I want us to see something in him that was longing, but also doubtful. And sometimes that speaks of us as well. I got to give some background uh, to this. Zach read the prophecy of Zechariah after John the Baptist was born. And it's a man who had been set loose. And we'll get to that part here in a moment, but... Just a little bit of background, uh, farther back in Luke chapter 1, we see a description of Zechariah and what took place in the temple. And I want us to just know a little bit about Zechariah and then challenge you with a couple of things at the end. I want us to know this about Zechariah, that he was a man of responsibility I want us to see that Zechariah was a man of sorrow. And I want you to see that Zechariah was a man of doubt. But he was also a man who learned a great deal in nine months of silence and solitude. Something we don't know much about anymore. 
I want us to think about that today. But first, let's talk about Zechariah for a moment. Uh, I want to read from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Let me read there in this narrative regarding Zechariah. It says there in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the Spirit power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day of these things, these things, that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That's a lot of text to read, but we need the backdrop of this prophecy or this song that Zechariah gives later. And I want to give a description of him. He was a man of responsibility. We see that he was a priest, and so he had responsibilities in the temple. Uh, He would go in, and uh, uh, twice a year he had the responsibility. So he was, a, he was a priest of the division of Abijah. I'll say it right this time, Abijah. There were 
24 divisions, by the way, of priests from the Old Testament. 24 divisions. Aaron, who was Moses' brother, and the first priest of Israel had two sons. Abijah, uh, I mean Eleazar, and Ithamar. Combined, they had 24 sons. Abijah was the eighth son of Eleazar. This was the line that Zechariah was in. A priest would serve two weeks out of the year, but not consecutively. They would serve, uh, you know, one week, and then on down the line, when the, uh, the line of Abijah came back, they would cast lots, and someone else would, you know, they would, someone would serve. Two weeks out of the year. During this time of Zechariah's division, they, the lot was cast and it fell on him. And he took his responsibility seriously. He went in and he was going in to burn incense. So he was a man of responsibility. He was a man who did his duty. Not only was he a priest, but his wife was in the priestly line as well. The line of Aaron, it says. And they were righteous. I mean, they were, they were obedient to the Lord. It says there that they were blameless, righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. That doesn't mean that they were perfect. It does mean that they were devoted to walking in obedience to the Lord. So Zechariah was this man of responsibility. But also we find there in verse 7 that he was a man of sorrow. Look what it says. But they had no child. You could stop it there. They had no child. Remember what the angel said to Zechariah? He said, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? And it says there in verse 13, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. That's the prayer. This is a man that had been praying for his son. I mean, he'd been asking the Lord, man, would you, would you make my wife conceive? They were advanced in years, so this had been a prayer of many years. This has been a man of faithful prayer for years. I mean, every Jewish man longed for a son. Someone to carry on their name, the line. A son to raise and to train up to be a man. A son to care for he and his wife in their old age. I got three sons. And I'm thankful I got daughter-in-laws. Okay, because I think that's how it'll go. But they do care for you. Back when we had COVID, man, our sons were just kind of like, what can we do? What can we do? I love that. But I think their daughter-in-laws were prodding them. Hey, 
call them, see how they're doing. Zechariah had no sons for this. Because it says Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have children. You know, the scriptures tell us that God is sovereign over the womb. In Genesis chapter 20, uh, in the narrative regarding Abraham and Abimelech, uh, we see that Abraham had lied and he told Abimelech, ah, she's my sister. God protected her and guarded Abimelech from touching her. And after he found out, the Lord revealed it to him. Man, he let every man in the, in the country know, hey, y'all don't touch this girl. This is his wife. Abraham, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And so, you know, he said, well, I was afraid. And so Abimelech gave Sarah back and gave him all sorts of stuff, you know, cows and donkeys and oxen and camels and everything you could get. I mean, he, he bankrolled him, basically. And then it says that Abraham prayed for Abimelech. And it says the reason that he prayed was because the women, Abimelech's wife and servants, could not bear children. God had, it says specifically, closed their womb. God's sovereign over that. Psalm 127 shows that children are a reward from the Lord. Isn't it true? They're a reward from the Lord. Psalm 139 details God's workmanship of forming a human in a mother's womb. So when it says Elizabeth was barren, and both were in advanced in years. We can understand this about that. Number one, Elizabeth was barren for the purpose of God. She did not have children for the purpose of God. Secondly, Zechariah was sorrowful. And prayerful for the purpose of God. You see design here. You hear in the angel saying, your prayer has been heard. You hear the longing in Zechariah. When we have plenty, we long for very little. You realize that? We just gorge ourselves on the things we do have. 
We don't really understand the concept of longing for something. It's the absence of things that causes us to long and to pray and to seek the face of God. He was a man of responsibility, living up to it, being faithful even though he was a man of sorrow. But it was purposeful in God's timing and in God's working. But we find out also that Zechariah showed himself to be a man of doubt. I mean, the angel said, hey, you know what? Elizabeth is going to have a son. You're going to have a son. I want you to give him the name of John. And he's going to be a special person in the history of Israel and in the coming of the Savior. You're going to have a great son. Zechariah, verse 18 of chapter 1. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? You've been praying for this your whole life. I'm an angel. I, I stand before God. I'm Gabriel. I just came and told you something. How is it that you can doubt this? What's wrong with you, man? Supernaturally, I'm bringing you a birth announcement. And you're going, how? How shall I know this is going to be true? God, man, if that's all you've got to say in response to this, you don't even need to speak until this child's born. And so it caused him not to be able to speak and apparently not to be able to hear either. So the term here where you will be silent is speaking of the silence both of him being able to speak and the silence of him being able to hear. Because if he could hear, the people wouldn't have been made making signs to him, asking him, hey, well, you wouldn't want to name this boy. All the longing for a son and sorrow, not having a son, he doesn't believe the promise of God that has come to him. So he's rebuked and he is disciplined. So here we have this man. He comes out not able to speak and not able to do so for nine months. Nine months into forced silence. Nine months not being able to speak or hear. Now, let me kind of bring this in a moment. Most people today, if they can't find their phone for nine minutes, there's a fit going on in the house, all right? I use that general term because you may define a fit in some other way, okay? 
where's my phone? Where's my phone? It's kind of like, well, you know, you've got find my iPhone. You know, I can't find my phone. Will you call my phone? Well, I must be on silent. We lose our minds without a device. By God's grace and mercy and the kindness and generosity of so many people, I've had the opportunity of traveling all over the world. Europe, China, Africa, uh, Haiti, different places all over the world. And it astounds me that we'll go to a place and people will unpack and they have a fan that they have packed. I'm not ridiculing anybody. Y'all going, well, it's hot there. This has nothing to do with heat. Okay? This has to do with they can't stand the concept of silence. Can't deal with it. They have to have some noise in order to go to sleep. Right? I mean, when I was growing up, I, I'm sure there was noise, but that's not what helped me go to sleep. Helped me go to sleep as I ran around all the time. I was tired, right? We all do it. I'm as bad as the next person. Zechariah learned something in his silence, I believe. And the silence that he was forced into. I mean, God uses everything to bring about his praise and his glory, including a rebuke from himself to another. God uses everything. He uses his position. When you think about it, God designed the day Zechariah would serve. It was on that particular day. Understand that John the Baptist would be born before Jesus Christ. He would prepare the way, if you will. Remember when Mary was visited by Gabriel. She came running to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was already pregnant. Far enough along that the baby leaped. He designed the day Zechariah would serve. He designed the sorrow of this man and this woman who was barren. He designed the discipline for unbelief. For this broken man. You know the discipline that God brought upon Zechariah. Was not to oppress him. It was to build up the faith of the man. It was to cause him to grow in his silence. Isn't that true? 
Don't we grow in the times of sorrow, in the times of illness, in the times of uncertainty? Doesn't it always cause us to pray with greater longing? Seek Him, to know Him, know His will. I mean, we live in a time today of the need of constant entertainment. We don't know how to sit down and be quiet. That's not true of everybody, but it's true of most people. So many in the generations we're raising are addicted to noise. And then God puts us in a very uncomfortable place. You ever been there? That place of uncertainty? Sorrow? Grief? Pain? God doesn't waste that, not one moment of it. We need to learn how to live in silence and solitude. We need to learn how to separate ourselves from our devices and to just sit silent. Let me just challenge y'all to do that. I'm not telling you to turn your phone off and don't use it because most people use them all the time for work and so forth. That's how close they've become. I'm not asking you to fast or anything like that from your devices. I'm asking you to try a little bit of analog living. Go to the store and actually buy a gift this week. You know, going into the store, as opposed to ordering it off of Amazon. But more than anything, can you just find a room at some point? And I know the moms are going, no. Yeah, you can. Dad can watch him for an hour. Just go in that room. Don't take your phone in there. Don't take your computer in there. Don't take your iPad in there. I don't know what other devices exist, but don't take it, okay? Take a pen and a piece of paper and a Bible. Open it to the Psalms. Then just be still before God. Just be still. 
and consider the things that come to you. The things that the noise has been helping us to forget and not think about. The pains, the grief, the sin. Enough noise drowns those things out for us. This is why we embrace them so much. As we look here in verse 67 of chapter 1, it says here that they asked him, they showed him signs and everything, and he took the tablet and he wrote it and said, His name is John. In verse 64, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. Can y'all imagine what I would do if my mouth was wired shut for nine months and they cut it off and I could talk? Can y'all imagine? I mean, y'all make fun of me Y'all make fun of me all the time, you know. This morning, y'all didn't know I was doing Advent. But this morning, somebody says, well, how many sermons are you going to do on the power of the gospel? I don't know yet, but it'll be more than one. Can you imagine me nine months not being able to speak? Zechariah, a priest. A guy of prayer. A guy of sorrow. I mean, he unleashed when he was, when, when the Lord gave him back his capacity to speak. It says here, and Luke's not the one who uses immediately. Mark uses immediately. And immediately, you know, right away. I mean, Mark is, has this urgency in his gospel. But Luke says immediately. His mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke. This is what he spoke. I got to thinking. I wonder where they got this. If you look at the timeline, I think Mary probably was witnessing. She was there three months. Elizabeth was pregnant. It was at least five months along. I'm speculating. But listen to what he says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Let me stop there. Listen, there's a couple of things I want you to know that we learn in silence and solitude. People say, well, I don't, I don't have the time for that. I don't have the space for that. Yes, you do. You can create that. But in silence and solitude, our belief in God's promises grow. And our joy in Him is increased. I mean, He immediately spoke and blessed God. He was joyful. He was happy. Why? How, how come? He had sat for nine months. 
There is a benefit to silence there. I'm not saying we need that all the time. I need people. I know that. All right? kind of a people person I like to talk I like to visit with folks I like to see what's going on in their life but there's a time for silence and solitude notice something about verses 68 and 69 actually all through it the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He has done it. How so? Mary had come. He knows God's already doing this work. What the prophets promised, he says right here. Listen to what he says. Now, verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. That's how he knew. And he knew that Mary had brought this news. And he knew that his son would be a predecessor. He's saying he's done it. His faith grew. I mean, in the temple, it was, how's this going to happen? Now, he's saying, he's already done it. It's a done deal. He's raising up Messiah right now. He's bringing him in to this earth. Months of silence afforded him opportunity to be in the Word in times of prayer. And I believe that led to Revelation. He saw the promises, believed them, applied them to his time. God's promises are true and they're redeeming. And it was sitting in silence, I believe, very much that helped him to see these truths. God's promises are true, they're redeeming, and they are renewing. And He'll utilize everything to accomplish His purposes. Everything. Every joy and every sorrow, He will use it to accomplish His purpose and to bring us joy. I mean, the angel told him, man, you're going to have great joy. And he did, didn't he? He had a son. Something he had always longed for. He had a son. It was God's purpose that he had that son. It was God's purpose that he know him more. Secondly, I want us to see in silence and solitude our desire kill sin is enhanced in light of the salvation that has come to us. Look what he says there. He has raised up a horn of 
salvation for us. That phrase is used one other time in all the Bible, and it's found in Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is the psalm that David wrote when he had been delivered from all of his enemies. Psalm 18, he writes this, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now, we think of horns, okay? And, you know, we think of, well, the trumpet's going to blow when Jesus comes. That's not what it is. I like horns, you know. I like brass. I like people that play those things, trumpets and things like that. That's not what this is. This is the horn of an ox, okay? Uh, this is something that an ox uses not to defend itself, but to wreak havoc on someone. It's an offensive weapon, if you will. And David is saying, he's the horn of my salvation. Look, he says that God is my shield and the horn of my salvation. This hardened battle instrument. The horn of my salvation. Not something that you blow on and make Music, but something instead. Who's the horn of my salvation? Jesus is the horn of my salvation. That's what Zechariah is pointing up. He has raised up. He's being formed in his mother's womb. That's what Zechariah is saying, I believe. He's done it. What the prophets said he would do, he has done. Isaiah chapter 7, and the virgin shall bear a child. All these things had come to him. David, in all of his praise, all through that psalm, is pointing out ways that he was afraid, ways that he was uncertain, ways that he... Could have done things in his own way, but he didn't because he was waiting, anticipating, looking for what God would do. Believing the promises that God had made. Jesus would be the one to come and to die and to give us life. And that life in great abundance. All eternity life. I think it's so important for us to consider and think about what Zechariah is doing. It's kind of like in silence and solitude, he learned these things. We learn things when we sit back in silence. I don't think it's wrong to go there in this text. I think it's a great reminder. good for us 
There's someone who longed to be a father. And now it's come true. Look at verse 76. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Who's he talking about from 76 on? His son. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness till the day of his public appearance in Israel. Verse 76 begins a place where as a father, he's casting vision for his son. Not vision that he wants, but vision that God has revealed to him. He's letting his child know in this, in this little song, if you will. This is what I hope for you. And that hope is from the living God. That hope, he's not making up on his own. He's not saying, hey son, I want you to be a doctor so you'll have plenty of money to take care of me when I'm old. He's saying you're going to have a fantastic ministry. You're going to show people great light. In silence and solitude, he learned what sons need to hear from their fathers. Fathers, don't ignore me. Don't ignore the Lord. You have been given a role. You have been given a responsibility. You may have known sorrow and you may have known uh, doubt, but I want you to know God has given you a responsibility to live out. And Zechariah longed to have a son, and then he had a son, and then he blessed his son right here in this song. Not for the things that he wanted him to be, but the things that God wanted him to be. Oh, cast a vision in front of your sons and your daughters. Fathers, cast a vision in front of your sons and your daughters, one that comes from the Word of God. How God has designed your children to grow up and to love Him and to care for Him and to love Christ more than anything. Raise them that way. Give them that vision. Not one of the American dream. It will crumble. But one that is built on the Savior, Jesus Christ. One that finds its foundation on Him. Fathers, 
No one in this world will influence your children more than you. Either good or bad. It's just how it is. I talk to many sons and I talk to many daughters. And they always look back on their dad and it's kind of like he was, he was there and he was a good dad or he wasn't there or he was there and he wasn't a good dad. And it always goes back there for some reason. I don't think it's the psychological thing. I think it was a design thing. Fathers, bless your children. Spend time alone in silence with the Word of God. Fathers, get you one of these and teach the Christology of the coming of Jesus. Fathers, don't let your children grope for the love that only comes from you. Don't let them grope and feel around in the darkness wondering, which way will I go? Because I want you to know, as they're looking to you, show them which way to go. What light to be. Help me, Dad, I don't know. They long for it. Fathers, men, husbands. Oh, I call you from the Word of God. Leave your homes. Lead your wives and your children. Lead them in the Word of God. Before all this took place, I believe Zechariah was already doing that with his wife. Before they even had children, before John was conceived, what was he doing? Well, Gabriel pointed it out. Your prayer has been heard. He was a man of the word and a man of prayer. I tell you, the greatest gift you can give your children is to be a man and a woman devoted to Jesus Christ and that you love him with all your heart. Father, we want to thank you that your ways are not our ways. We want to thank you, Lord, that all that we read regarding Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, all designed by your hand. And Lord, we can look into your promises and we can trust you to do your desires and you to work out your purposes through us, through our joys and our sorrows, through our success and our failures. We know it's true, Lord. 
You work all things to good for those who love you. Those who are called according to your purpose. And Father, we want to live faithfully before you. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us as husbands, fathers, wives, mothers. That Lord, we would Turn down the static of this world in our life. And Father, that we would tune in specifically to your word, your spirit, your purpose, your way. And God, that we would see clearly how to walk as families, as individuals who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.